are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Good morning. My name is Stuart Parker and I'm one of the leaders here at Hope Church. And today's our final morning looking at the book of 2 Corinthians, which we've been going through this term. So you'll um, benefit from having a Bible in front of you. Do put your hands up if you'd like to receive one of those. And uh, we'll get started in a minute on chapter 12. Uh, we'll be finishing the letter today. And as I go through the um, chapter 12 and 13 today, I'll also be making reference to some of the talks that we've been hearing so far this term. Before I get started, the book of Hebrews says the word of God is active and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And this is exactly what today's passage from 2 Corinthians will do for us. We're going to be reading starting at chapter 12 verse 14. And it will examine us if we will open our hearts to God today. And it promises that God will work in our lives through his power if we come to him in all our human weakness. Remember that this letter of 2 Corinthians is one of a, the last one of a series of letters between Paul and the Corinthian Christians. They've had a difficult few years. And in this letter, Paul is arguably at his most heartfelt out of all his New Testament letters. His heart is aligned with God's heart. So when we read about Paul's heart, how he's been misunderstood, how he's persevered despite rejection, how he's been replaced in their hearts by more flashy speakers, this letter says something of God's heart towards us when we stray from him. I won't read the whole passage now, but I'll read it in sections as we go along. So let's start at chapter 12, verse 14. Now I'm ready to visit you for the third time and I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? So we see at the start of verse 14, um, Paul's preparing for his third visit. Um, we know from chapter 2 that the last visit Paul made to Corinth was a painful one. I wonder if you're dreading a visit this Christmas. Maybe you've uh, had difficulties with relatives or perhaps sadly someone is missing that uh, would normally be there. Maybe some people are coming to you. It's going to be a difficult time. Well, that's what Paul does wants to avoid. He doesn't want another difficult visit. He's trying to prepare the Corinthians for this visit to be positive and encouraging. And you might think, well, Paul's not coming back to visit us at Hope Church in Guildford. So we might think we might not be concerned about being held to account. Well, Paul might not be returning, but Jesus is coming back. And as we read this passage, let's hear Jesus calling us to be ready for his return. Back at half term uh, in October, my wife Jean went away uh, with Reuben and Cameron to her parents and I made the most of being at home on my own and spread out and left the washing up and 
left my uh, toolkit out, I needed to clear up before she returned. Thankfully, I knew when she was coming back, she kindly sent me a WhatsApp message. So I had a few hours to sort the place out before she got there. But we won't know when Jesus is coming back. He could come at any time. So we need to get ready now. Paul goes on to say, what I want is not your possessions in verse 14. Of course, yes, do give generously from your wallets. I mean, not, not to prop up Paul's lifestyle here, but primarily to show the openness of your hearts towards God. Do you remember Chris teaching last month from chapters 8 and 9 about giving? God loves a cheerful giver. It's good to give. It opens our hearts more to God if our wallets are available to him. Talking about what to do with our money, here are apparently some of the sought-after gifts this Christmas. At the top of the slide there, you've got the air fryer, which is very popular, and uh, it is low on power, so good in, these, uh, in this energy crisis, and it's low on oil, so good for your health. Good for, good for a round of chips. Probably not going to feed your Christmas turkey, though. Next down on the slide, we've got a re-release of Super Mario Brothers from the 1980s. So if you're after a retro um, gift, then that's the one for you. Uh, or another option is, um, does anyone know what the Lego set at the bottom is? Well, it's Boba Fett's Starship set, aimed mainly at nine-year-olds, but I'm sure Barney's got his eyes on that one. Anyway, Jesus is not interested. He's not impressed by mere possessions. Verse 14 says, what I want is you. Paul's given up everything for them. We see that in verse 15. I'll gladly spend every, for you everything I have and expend myself as well. He's even supported himself rather than asking the Corinthians for money. But sadly, they've, they've despised him for it. Presumably thinking, well, he's not charging very much. He can't be very good. At the heart of this letter is Paul's heart. Do you remember back in October when Rahana spoke on chapter 6? There's a few verses up on the slide here. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Can you hear Paul's heart in this letter? He wants the Corinthians to follow Jesus like Paul urges them, not like the false apostles. He's got the heart of a parent towards them. But instead of a parent who's going to bring discipline, they want more like the classic indulgent uncle who takes them to the circus, the theme park and Papa John's all in one day. Well, it's hard to compete against that, isn't it? But God is not showy. Many things in this world will distract us from him. But he loves us quietly as a perfect father. He wants what is truly best for us. I remember when I was a child, uh, my grandfather, when he was still alive, took me to the science museum. And I remember I remember kind of getting there to the, the big hall at the start and saying to him, I don't quite know why, but I just said, oh, I'll, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of set off and have a look around and I'll, see, I'll meet you back here in a few hours' time. And I remember uh, that, that look of sadness on his face. He wasn't that interested in 
he wasn't so much interested in looking around the science museum he wanted to spend time with me he wanted to walk around with me and when I was writing this story back down when I was preparing this talk I I felt tearful I felt something of of his sadness and I couldn't really appreciate it at the time but I think I felt something of my grandfather's tears at me wanting just to you know go off and do my own thing and maybe check in with him later and that seemed to be a bit like Paul's heart here like the father's the father god's heart to us he doesn't want us just to sort of check in with him at the start and then go off and do our day on our own without him and then come and uh, just check in again before bedtime he wants our, he wants us he wants to walk with us he wants to he wants us to follow him he wants our hearts if you're a christian today remember everything that our father god has done for us Let's keep on receiving his love. Don't get distracted by this world. Let's give him our hearts again. If you've been Christmas shopping already earlier um, this month or last month, you've almost certainly heard Maria Carey singing All I Want for Christmas is You, classic song. Well, whatever you think of that song, this is in a way God's song over you. What God wants for Christmas is you and your heart. Jesus, God's only son, spent everything he had. He gave up his life for each one of us on the cross. Jesus was despised like Paul for looking weak as he hung there dying on the cross, looking like a loser. But as he did that, he was winning for us the greatest present we could ever be offered. His life was the price to pay as each of us has turned our back on God. If we will follow Jesus in our lives, then God the Father will welcome us as his sons and daughters. And if you're not a Christian here today, please hear this. God doesn't want your stuff. He wants your heart. If any of this has resonated with you, then do come up to me afterwards and pray with me at the end. If you're interested in following the Lord Jesus. Let's keep going with our passage. Verse 16. Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. He speaks with irony. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We've been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. So in verse 16, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. It reminds us of that sarcastic sort of tone that Paul used back in chapter 11. Do you remember Malcolm speaking last week about all the boasting? And... Um, the background is, as you know, that Paul's opponents had been claiming things about Paul that weren't true. He claimed They claimed that he tricked the Corinthians into following him. They claimed that he was collecting the offering um, under false pretenses or it wasn't quite right. So the allegations have been that he'd been tricking them. But... Paul challenges that narrative here. 
verse 17, did anyone I sent exploit you? Verse 18, did, did Titus exploit you? Well, no, of course. It's a rhetorical question. In verse 19, we see something of the misunderstanding that Paul brings up now. Have you just been thinking that I'm one more person looking to defend and promote my own brand? Of course not. Paul is just trying to share his heart with them, which is the Father's heart. So this is my first point today. Receive the Father's heart. Let's move on to verse 20. For I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin and debauchery in which they've indulged. So my second point is that we must examine ourselves. Paul wants to find them following Jesus when he comes for his third visit, and he's afraid that they'll have strayed again. And they want to find Paul verse 20 as you want me to be presumably gentle and not confronting them they don't want another painful visit remember chapter 2 exposing their sin and Paul here gets into into the real detail doesn't he he lists out eight sins between people um, sort of interpersonal sins and three sins in verse 21 that are sexual and some of them might be more obvious than others. And for example, discord, rage, disorder and debauchery, pretty obvious, blatant sins. Some might be more private, a bit more hidden, jealousy, selfish ambition, arrogance. People might keep a bit more of a lid on those. Some might have a bit more of a veneer of respectability. Some might gossip or slander in a way that uh, sounds sounds kind of like a prayer request or you know a kind of a it doesn't necessarily sound like a bad thing to do but he's naming all of these things as sinful behaviors this is his fear that, that, that he's going to he's going to come across these behaviors when he comes and what's paul's response in verse 21 to their behavior it's not stop sinning and behave better now remember back in verse 14 he's already said that he's like a father to them. What he actually says is that the behaviour of his spiritual children is it's going to humble Paul and cause him grief. Isn't that the heart of a father? I wonder if you're a parent yourself, have you experienced your children behaving badly? Maybe you've been in charge of someone else's children when they've been messing around particularly if it's done in public you might find yourself embarrassed or angry but I know as a father my own predominant emotion is that of sadness I thought we had a better relationship than this I hope that they would love and respect me as their father more than to behave like that well that's Paul's heart here and that's our father God's heart towards us if we're Christians and just treating sin lightly I can imagine God thinking with great sadness. I gave my son Jesus for him. 
for her. And this is how they live in response. So what's the answer? Well, Paul writes in verse 21 of repenting. It's a wholehearted turning away from sinful behaviour, doing all that we can with the help of God's spirit to ensure that we don't act like that again. What's the most embarrassing thing you've ever been caught doing? And what did you do to ensure that you never did that again? And that's what repentance should be like. This is what I'm going to change in my life to make sure I never do that again. I'll never have more than two beers in one evening. Or, yeah, I'm going to cancel the internet connection on my phone now. You take radical action, don't you? Because you're desperate never to be caught doing that again. I remember as a, a child, me and my older brother, we went out uh, one cold, snowy night and we thought it would be funny to throw snowballs at cars. And so we stood there by the side of the main road near where we lived and got our snowballs ready. And my brother always had better eyesight than me. Um, anyway, I, got, I was really up for it and I got ready to throw my, ball, my snowball and my brother shouted, no, don't, don't throw it. But it was too late. I'd already launched the ball. And the police officers in the car that I was targeting had already seen us and were getting ready to do their reverse manoeuvre around the corner as we sped off, realising that uh, we'd thrown these at, well, I'd thrown mine at a police car. Anyway, we ran... Um, home and hid in the back garden but needless to say uh, they found us and marched us up to the front door and um, gave us a good ticking off in front of my mum and it was very embarrassing and uh, needless to say I've never thrown anything at a car since. I never wanted to find myself in that situation ever again and I never launched a snowball or any other projectile at a car again you'll be glad to hear. Well guess what? God has actually caught us doing every sin we've ever done. None of them has been overlooked. So let's be desperate to turn from sinful ways, whatever they might be for each one of us. Let's move into chapter 13, verse 1. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. Now I repeat it while absent. On my return I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He's not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him in our dealing with you. Now, in verse 1, Paul's actually quoting from Deuteronomy 19, 15. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You might be wondering, what, what's he talking about? I think he's probably just saying that his three visits to Corinth, and the third one's still to come, or maybe his two previous warnings, two or three witnesses, together they, they bear witness, these visits, that the Corinthians are wayward. So I think that's what he's saying. You know, all these I've got, I've got this, the evidence um, that um, I need to give you a warning here. And then in verse three, 
He writes, you're demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. But they question Paul's authority. But surely the test for a bona fide Christian leader is whether he or she is pointing us towards Jesus. That wasn't what the so-called super apostles were doing. But that is unmistakably what Paul is doing in this passage, isn't it? Remember that the Corinthians thought Paul was weak and unimpressive. They were drawn towards the self-appointed super apostles. Yes, Paul writes, I may well look weak, but guess what? I'm in good company. Verse 4 reminds us that Jesus was crucified in weakness. Yet now he lives by God's power. So just like Jesus appeared weak on the cross, Paul appears unimpressive by many worldly measures. But just like God was working powerfully through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, so God works powerfully through Paul. And this reminds us of Chris's talk from the start of October in chapter four of this letter. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Yes, we're weak, we're brittle, but the power comes through our weakness from God. Verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. So Paul's not saying here that all the Corinthians have failed as Christians, but he is inviting them to test the authenticity of their faith. Throughout this letter, he's been trying to show that he passes the test as a bona fide apostle. He's been showing that his motives are pure, his credentials are strong, and his heart is for them. Okay, Paul, we might say, let me take the test. Well, actually, the whole of the letter of 2 Corinthians has been the test. And here are some of the key questions in the letter that we've examined this term. Firstly, chapter 1, where do we look for comfort? Do we find it in our relationship with God? Secondly, are we following godly leaders or just those who boast, entertain and try to impress? Thirdly, are we at peace with ourselves, being fragile, jars of clay? Because then we know that God can work powerfully through us. Fourthly, are we putting our finances at God's disposal, giving to his work sacrificially? So there's some of the challenges that this letter's brought to us. We might think that we've been examining the book of 2 Corinthians this term, but really, like I said at the beginning, this double-edged sword, word of God, has been examining us. Paul's not trying to make us doubt our salvation, but from time to time we do need to examine ourselves and make sure we're still following Jesus in our lives. Verse 5 of this chapter, examine yourselves and see whether you are in the faith. Corinthians, you've been looking at these so-called super apostles, but they're not the real deal. 
They're busy building their own brand, promoting the values of the world, whereas the real believer should be a humble, a humble signpost to the Lord Jesus. Do you remember how I introduced this passage at the start? It will examine us if we will open our hearts to God today. So that's my second point. Let's examine ourselves before God so that he might work powerfully in us if we come to him in all our human weakness. I'm just going to read through verses 8 to 10 for the purposes of time. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up and not for tearing you down. So here are our three points today. Firstly, receive the Father's heart. Remember what he wants is you. Secondly, examine yourselves as this letter has examined us. Is there anything that needs realigning in our lives with the Father's heart? And thirdly, be of one mind. And you might be thinking, Stuart, why have you put the gratuitous England flag on your slide? <laughs> well... Um, here we go when the, when the England players gather in Qatar this evening to play against Senegal they will need firstly to listen carefully to their manager secondly they need to examine themselves what went wrong in the match against the USA what went well in the other matches and thirdly they'll need to be of one mind to go out on the pitch and play well together now, not the perfect analogy, I know, but always the opportunist. Um, I'm not saying that Gareth Southgate is on our par with God. But as a church, yes, we need to reflect, receive, firstly, reflect and unite. So let's look at this final point um, as we get ready for communion. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's probably another verse that we knew but didn't quite know where it came from. So that's the final verse in 2 Corinthians. So in verse 11, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Rejoice. We made it through 2 Corinthians. <laughs> but seriously, if you're a brother or sister in the faith, have, we have good grounds to rejoice together. We are in Christ and safe in him. So we use these final verses to respond to God in communion. But before we take the bread and wine, I'd like each of us to reflect on what God may have been teaching us today, this term, from this book. Might be something for you, each of us to reflect on privately. Verse 11 says, strive for full restoration. Um, but I'd also invite you to consider whether maybe God is speaking a verse to you to share with someone else together here today.
someone in this room, maybe he wants you to share a verse with them to encourage them. Verse 11 says, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace. Communion is partly about remembering the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, but it's also about being united, building one another up. Maybe there's a verse from this letter that God wants you to encourage someone else with today. So we're going to have just a, a minute or so of some background music. And um, while, you, while this music is on, please feel free to get up and go and move around the room and bring, bless someone with an encouraging word, particularly from this letter of 2 Corinthians do ask permission if you'd like to give someone a holy kiss. Um, we'll, just, we'll just have a moment. So um, as, the, as the music plays, let's just reflect on what we've heard and um, do, do feel free to go and encourage people. And um, if you're not a believer today, then just take the time as, as the Christians in this room um, take communion to reflect on what you've heard from the Bible but if you know and love the Lord Jesus, then you're very welcome to join us with the bread and wine. You should have a communion cup with the bread in the top compartment. And um, we'll come to that in a minute. invite you now to pick up your communion things and uh, if you're going to join us for communion then do open up the bread and uh, let me read chapter 13 verse 4 Jesus was crucified in weakness yet he lives by God's power let's remember him as we take the bread together
Now I'm going to read verse 11 from this chapter. If you've not drunk it already, let's get ready to drink the wine together as we remember Jesus' blood shed for our sins. Verse 11 says, Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Let's remember Jesus as we take the wine. To, um, we're going to sing together in a minute, but I'd like to close um, this part of the service just by reading together the final verse of this book, this, this letter. So um, I'm just going to invite you to stand and together let's read this verse 14, which begins, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd love us to do it as a blessing to one another. So you might want to turn and face others in this room. And um, it's a wonderful blessing, full of truth, full of the Trinity. Let's mean it and speak it to one another together. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.